Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. So what was the date? It was uh, January 22nd. It was after this impeachment thing bombed out. What did I tell you? What did I tell I tell you? I told you to be on the look because there's going to be something come down the pike. There are 10 months left. And even though impeachment blew up on them, there's going to be something else. And I'm kicking myself. I'm kicking myself for not realizing what it was going to be. I mean, I, I mentioned it in a list of possibilities. But I'm stupid. I should have realized they're going to go straight back to Russia. And they've done it. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. Folks, it just doesn't get any better than this. You got to learn to look at this and laugh at it and smile and understand how to appreciate it and realize that it means the other side is literally gone insane, including the never Trumpers, the Democrats and the drive by media. Great to have you with us. It is open line Friday. You know what that means? It means you can talk about whatever you want to. You may think that's the way it is Monday through Thursday, but it isn't. But on Friday, it is. So anything you want to talk about, have at it. Here's the phone number. And we try to take more phone calls on Friday. Numbers 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. So (laughs) I have been laughing uproariously this morning every time I tune in to the drive-by media. Let's see. We've had... The Democrats have had a disastrous couple of weeks now. The Hawkeye Cockeye fear. Do you know that Crazy Bernie is demanding a recount of some of the Hawkeye Cockeye votes? This was two weeks ago, Snurdly, and they still are not sure who won. That is an absolute disaster. Why aren't the Russians responsible for that? I mean, that is a direct Democrat fiasco. And you would think that would be made to order for these clowns to claim the Russians did it. But they haven't. They haven't alluded to the Russians or Trump having anything to do with the fact that they can't even count their own freaking votes. So the Hawkeye-Cockeye fiasco, and then that bloodbath fiasco of a debate a couple nights ago in Nevada. So it is clear to everybody, it's clear to everybody on the left, Trump will almost certainly be reelected. Bloomberg has blown it. Crazy Bernie is, is just so unacceptable to everybody in the Democrat Party except most of their voters. The voters love the guy. The party establishment hates the guy. But he, 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 he scored the big fundraising take after that debate. I told you people, I warned you, do not laugh at what Crazy Bernie's saying because there are Democrats across this country lapping it up and they sent him record amounts of money. Well, not record, but the most amounts of money considering all the other candidates and what they raised. So now it's time for the media Start claiming the Russians are going to meddle in the election in 2020, because that's part of what the impeachment fiasco was all about. And I predicted all of it. I did not, I got to be honest, I didn't specifically predict that they would go back 
And maybe I did. I didn't on January 22nd. I say so much, and so much of it is so correct and so right that sometimes, even when I think I'm wrong, I end up being right. So I probably did predict this. I just don't exactly remember, but here we are. Voila, the New York Times. <laughs> the New York Times, in addition to rep, they have Dawn. They've got an op-ed today written by the Taliban leader. They have given an op-ed section of their newspaper to the leader of the Taliban. And the, and the reasoning is, well, we're on the verge of a peace deal with uh, with the Taliban. The Trump administration, the verge of a peace deal. Why not? They they have. I, I think they're now consuming their brains, and, and along with this, their intelligence, their IQ, their EQ is is melting. They're consuming themselves. So, in addition to granting the Taliban space for an op-ed in the New York Times. They have a front page, front page column uh, this morning, dictated by Adam Schiff, I'm sure, that says intelligence officials have warned House lawmakers last week that Russia is interfering in the 2020 campaign to try to get Trump reelected. Now, this news is from last week. But Schiff and the New York Times are trotting it out now because they realize the Democrat Party is imploding. There isn't anybody that can beat Trump. And so now it's time to start trying to taint the Trump campaign and have people finally turn against him. They have been trying for four years to get you who support Trump to turn against him. It's not going to work. There is a line of people, as we speak in Las Vegas, preparing to get into a Trump rally. It is a rare daytime Trump rally. They got drive-by reporters going up and down that line asking people, if Jesus Christ was running against Trump, would you vote for Jesus or Trump? And they're saying Trump. No matter who they are given as an opponent to Trump, Trump is being answered affirmatively by everybody the drive-bys are talking to in that line in Las Vegas. So this effort, which has been going on, as I say, for four years to get Trump voters to abandon him, it isn't going to work. And does anybody really, okay, you're Vladimir Putin, and you're surveying the Americans, and you got Trump, who is acing the Chi-Coms on trade deals, he's acing the Mexicans, he's acing the Filipinos, the South Koreans, everybody. Trump is reordering American trade deals and making them much more favorable and fair to the United States. Trump has rebuilt the U.S. military. It's stronger than it's been in years. That scares the hell out of Vladimir Putin. We're to believe that Vladimir Putin wants this guy reelected when it's possible to have somebody who honeymooned in Moscow as the president of the United States. That would be crazy Bernie. Anybody in their right mind would know that Vladimir Putin would much prefer crazy Bernie be president than another four years of Donald Trump. Who are they trying to... How stupid do they think we are? Crazy Bernie loves Moscow, loves Havana, loves communism. And Putin wants Trump? And who was it? Somebody was on... uh, Oh, MSNBC. I'm not going to mention the names, but PMSNBC is now calling Trump a Putin agent. Because of this story, Trump is back to being a Russian spy. He's a traitor. 
He is a Russian agent. Here, we have the audio sound by the media montage. This is after the disastrous debates. Audio sound bite number two. The drive-bys have gone back to Russia. Breaking news. The New York Times now reporting that Russia is interfering in the presidential election to try to get President Trump re-elected. Good morning, America. On this Friday morning, new evidence Russia interfering in our elections again. Russia is interfering in the 2020 campaign to try to get President Trump re-elected. Russia trying to interfere in the 2020 presidential campaign in a bid to get President Trump re-elected. Russia was already interfering in the 2020 campaign to try to get President Trump re-elected. There's a report tonight. Russia backs Trump's re-election. Russia is trying to meddle in America's election. Russia is now interfering in the 2020 election. Vladimir Putin is at it again, uh, trying to interfere in this year's presidential here we campaign. Are. Listen, listen Russia to this. is actively working to get President Trump reelected. L- listen, the president listen. is a Russian operative, and it is Vladimir Putin's greatest achievement. That's Lawrence O'Donnell, PMSNBC. Then we know we had it on the side. My cookie snuck it in there. You know, I've got this MSNBC ban, and Cookie resents it. Because there's gold mines, she thinks, on PMSNBC, but I don't want to promote those clowns. So she sneaks O'Donnell in here in the montage. I can't do anything about it except call it out. But it's okay because I told you he had said it. I just didn't mention the name. Now, folks, can I take you back to who are we talking about? These intelligence agency people. Who are this is the deep state. These are the people that told us there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And you know my theory about this. And if you are new to the program, and gobs and gobs of you are, I have to. We we are we are setting records for website membership subscribers. Uh, I can't I can't I can't thank you all enough. There are there are people tuning into this program every day that are listening for the first time. Let me repeat. Please indulge me if you are a long timer or a regular. Please indulge me on this. Let's go back to the Iraq War, 2003. George W. Bush spends a year and a half traveling the country, preparing everybody, lobbying the American people to support it. Goes to the United Nations, has satellite photos, all kinds of stuff. Colin Powell up there showing the photos, supposedly, of weapons of mass destruction installations in Iraq of Saddam Hussein and the European, our allies in the intelligence community, all support this. Now, Bush, as a Republican, probably not popular with the deep state, particularly after how he was elected. You know, there was outrage. The Florida recount in 2000, a lot of Democrats, a lot of deep staters think that Gore should have been president. He won the popular vote. They think the Supreme Court unfairly put Bush in there. I think there was as much resentment in the deep state, we just didn't call it that then, for George W. Bush as there is today for Donald Trump. And if not the same, it's close. I think, how could so many different intelligence agencies get something so wrong as weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? And remember, they gave Bush mounds of satellite photo evidence, documentation evidence. Colin Powell was dispatched to the United Nations to present this evidence, and it was all bogus because we went in there. It was the pretext for invading Iraq after 9-11. We get in there, and there are no weapons of mass destruction. It was one of the most embarrassing things. The Bush administration had to scramble. Everybody had to scramble. 
What I have seen, this bunch of people in the intelligence community capable, what they've tried with Trump here, this whole Russia meddling, Trump colluding, this whole thing is a gigantic lie, a totally bogus hoax, a silent coup. That's when I began to think the weapons of mass destruction thing was a setup against Bush, too. My point is this. Why should we believe these people? They haven't been right about anything in the last four years. They were wrong about weapons of mass destruction. They didn't get Benghazi right. Why should we believe them? We shouldn't. It is a continuation of an insane mindset that the deep state and the Democrat Party are, are in because they can't find a way to defeat this guy. They can't. They're, 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 they're almost insane with their inability to land a punch on Donald Trump. They don't understand it. They have deployed every weapon they have to destroy political opponents, and it's worked most every time they've tried it on whoever they wanted to damage or get rid of, but they can't even land a glancing blow on Trump. So now, after the Mueller report says there was no collusion, what are we back to? Trump is a Russian agent. The Russians want Trump to get reelected. We just had a four-year quasi-phony investigation when there was no evidence. The only thing was a fake dossier. There were lies to the FISA court to get warrants to spy on Trump. They couldn't even make up any evidence that would stick. And yet, here we are. We're going to recycle this whole thing that Trump is the chosen one of Vladimir Putin. And there's nothing we can do to stop it, by the way. The Democrats, can't, despite knowing who is behind meddling in our elections, the Democrats can't find a way to stop it. Trump's going to win, so we have to taint it. The Russians are meddling in our elections. These people are doing more damage to the integrity and the honor of the American election system that Vladimir Putin would ever dream of being successful at. And they're making themselves look like abject fools in the process. So right on time, here comes the New York Times publishing their piece. And I'm going to tell you what folks. Remember yesterday how the drive-by media was just absorbed with the Roger Stone sentence? The Roger Stone sentence. Something so irrelevant and untied to anything serious and yet they're glued to it. They have their reporters and their reporterettes and their info babes outside, inside the courtroom. The sentence is announced. They're hoping for seven to nine years. It comes back three years and four months. They're devastated. They're, they're disappointed. But I'm telling you, they covered that stone sentencing so closely because they think, they think it gives them a chance to prove Trump is guilty of colluding with the Russians, even though Stone was not charged with anything to do with colluding with the Russians. They still think the Stone sentence gave them an opportunity to make this case. And I believe that they all knew this New York Times story was coming because that news is from last week when the House Democrats, the Intelligence Committee, were told about the... Uh, 
uh, Russians uh, hoping that Trump gets elected, working to make it happen. That's old news. It's from last week. They held it for the day after the stones. And they don't realize how transparent they are. Anyway, folks, this I hope you're taking time to savor this rather than get mad at it. I hope you're taking time to enjoy this because you are watching uh, the literal implosion and the self commission to insanity of a major political party in this country, the Democrats. Greetings and welcome back. Listen to this. This is John. Oh, by the way, this intelligence agent, these are the people that believed the Steele dossier. If they actually did, these are the people that did not even predict the collapse of the Soviet Union. They never saw the collapse of the Berlin Wall. They were stunned when it happened. These people, I I hate to say this, but the element of the intelligence community that we are being treated to in the New York Times, whoever these nameless, uh, faceless people are, they haven't been right about a lot in a long time. And I think that's part of what's going on here. But here, listen to John King. This is just uh, moments ago on Inside Politics on CNN. Putin is not running some operation with Donald Trump. That was not the substance of the briefing. Nobody was saying Trump was colluding with Russia again. They were saying Russia is interfering in the election today, and it is their intelligence conclusion, based on a lot of intelligence, that Russia has a preference for President Trump. Well, 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 well but nobody was saying Trump was colluding with Russia again? So you're admitting that that was the original charge, that Trump was colluding with Russia. But now, Trump isn't colluding with Russia. Nobody's saying that. Putin's not running some operation with Trump. No. What's happening is that the U.S. intelligence community conclusion, based on a lot of intelligence, is that Russia has a preference for Trump. Mr. King, you know that I respect you among few at CNN. But this, this is, it's so obvious what you're trying to do here. This is a difference without a difference. There's, there's too much subtlety here. This story, as reported by the New York Times, people aren't going to draw the distinction. You, you report that Putin prefers Trump coming off of three years of reporting that Trump and Putin colluded. What do you think people are going to conclude? And this is your problem because you haven't proved it. You people who have been alleging this for three years have no evidence, no proof whatsoever and yet you're going back, Putin still prefers Trump? That won't even stand a smell test when you got somebody like Crazy Bernie who loves the Soviet Union and Russia running for the presidency. Now, I, I look, I have a theory, folks, that I want to share with you. Russia, 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 Russia. They're not letting this go. Now, as much as we think it's asinine and silly and stupid, they are not letting go of it. The drive-bys, the deep state, the Democrats, they are not letting go of it. And I think that it, obviously it's aimed at one group. It's aimed at one group of people, Democrats. 
Now, you might think, well, of course, Rush. No, because some people think that this actually is an attempt to reach Trump voters, a relentless, unstoppable attempt to reach Trump voters and distance Trump voters from his voters, you know, make them abandon him. But I don't think that's what this is. I, I, I think they have concluded they can't do that. The Democrats are the only people who believe this crap in the first place. It's the most astounding thing. But I'm sure you know Democrats to this day, despite no collusion, despite the fakery of the Steele dossier. I'm sure you know Democrats who believe every syllable of this, even though it's impossible. So the left establishment sees, I'll tell you what's happening out there. You know, Brad Parscale who is a campaign manager for the Trumpster, that every rally, they count everybody there. They count people in line. They count people who apply for tickets. They count people who get in. And in fact, you know, I need to call. Let me give you the latest data because a powerful, influential member of the media, I get this data. So I want to print this out. I'm going to send the Colorado rally data that was sent to me by Parscale. He sends it to a bunch of people, too, but... Now listen to this. I have it right here, my formerly nicotine stained fingers, right off the printer, which actually worked quickly today. Here is the Colorado data collected by the Trump re-election campaign. 71,984 tickets. Of the 700 or 71,000, let's call it 72,000. Of the 72,000 tickets... About 39,000 of these people were voters. 94% of them from Colorado. Now, the big news there is you've got 72,000 tickets, only 39,000 were voters. The others are not voters, but could be. This is scaring the hell out of the Democrats. This is my point. Of the 72,000 tickets... And of the 39,000 voters identified, 19% did not vote in 2016. They calculated the number 7,286 attendees did not vote in 2016, but are planning on voting this year. And here is... The thing scaring the heck out of the Democrats. 17% the people that showed up at this rally are Democrats. And that that number is pretty consistent at every Trump rally. 17 to 20% of the people showing up are Democrats. And the Democrats know this. They are scared to death of an actual movement of Democrat voters toward Trump. They are scared to death of African-American Democrat voters to Trump. They have to stop that momentum. And that's what this Russia business is. They're throwing this crap out, hoping it sticks on Democrat walls, because they are the only people that believe it. Trump voters don't believe it. You can't make them believe it. Independents don't believe it. You know who believes this stuff? Educated, college-educated, suburban Democrats believe this crap. 
college-educated suburban Democrats believe this Russia business. And that's what the Democrats are trying to protect because that there is a significant movement of Democrat voters to Trump as evidenced by a lot of polling and survey data and what's happening at these rallies. And these numbers that I just gave you out of Colorado are pretty consistent. Rally to rally to rally. So this is a defensive move. The Democrats in their establishment have got to do something to stop this erosion. And I think that's why there was some original hope for Bloomberg. Because the way the Democrats look, Bloomberg is just another Trump. He's a rich guy. He's from New York. But he's not another Trump. He can't hold a candle to Trump when it comes to heart, humanity, empathy, personality, connectivity. Bloomberg can't connect with anybody. He doesn't even want to connect with anybody. In terms of having a connection with your voters or a connection with your audience or a bond, he couldn't care less about that. And he, and, and as such, he, and Brian, get ready to put this picture up. Let me show that this, this is, I've, I've been trying to tell you how uh, unique Trump is and how unstoppable and how the Democrats don't have anybody like him for a host of reasons. Among them, the Democrats don't have anybody makes you laugh with them. You laugh at them. They don't have anybody with a sense of humor. Trump at his rally was holding a little baby. Somebody put a baby dressed up in a suit. And a meme developed on Twitter. You know, they, they can do uh, deep fake videos. So look, look what happened. There it is in the ditto cam. Somebody put a picture of Bloomberg's head on that baby. And try, it's a video. That's a still shot. And Trump is walking around the stage holding the baby. And the video has Bloomberg. So mini Mike, little baby, Trump carrying him around while making caustic comments, humorous comments about him. This is the kind of stuff Bloomberg cannot respond to he can't come back from and he can't stop it from having an impact on people all he can do is try to buy side you know what bloomberg's doing have you heard about this bloomberg is paying people twenty five hundred dollars to go on social media and say wonderful great things about him further proving that social media is corrupt and can be bought and things there aren't real so this is what I think this Russia thing is all about. It's really an effort to stop the erosion of Democrat voters over to Trump. Now, I got a couple more sound bites about this, but what would this whole thing be without the lead corrupting agent in this whole thing, Obama's former CIA director, John Brennan? He was the ringleader. Brennan was the... He was the link between the Brits and their efforts to implant spies in the Trump campaign. He was the link because he was no longer in office. He was, you know, Obama left and he was not the CIA director, but he still knew all the people. So the Brits and whatever they learned funneled everything to Brennan, who then funneled it to the FBI. That closed the loop and that's how they kept things coordinated. Brennan was on MSNBC today right on schedule, to help promote this silly Russians want Trump business. The question he got is, what is your message to your former colleagues in the intelligence community who are still fighting the fight inside the intelligence services? Carry out those responsibilities that you swore an oath to do. 
because they have that very solemn responsibility, whether you're intelligence or in a diplomat or in law enforcement, you need to carry out your responsibilities. I would tell them not to go to the door, not to leave, continue to do their work the best they can. This country needs FBI agents and CIA officers and diplomats around the world. And Donald Trump is in a very painful phase that we're going through right now. But we will get through this. So I, I encourage people who are currently in the government to stay there, do the best they can, and push back. It's a pep talk. It's a pep talk to the deep state because they are at their wits end. Truth be told, they have got to be feeling powerless. All these ambassadors, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, oh, oh, say, can you see, show up and testify. They essentially get fired, reassigned. They're out of the mainstream now. They got to be beside themselves. So here's Brennan giving an old pep talk. Hang in there, buds. Keep working. We'll find a way to prevail. And we got one more. James Clapper, partner in crime with Comey and Brennan and Obama in an original attempt to set Trump up in a in a in a Trump Tower Trump office meeting on January sixth, two thousand seventeen, before Trump was inaugurated. Uh, if you want, I'll tell the story. It's it's old hat by now. Question. He was on CNN with Don Lemon last night. Question. Now we know the president was angry with the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, over this briefing about Russia wanting him to win in 2020. Trump didn't want to hear that. So what's going on, Clapper? It shouldn't come as a shock to anybody uh, that the Russians are going to continue to do what they did in 2016, given the success. Stop the tape. The problem. You is haven't proven what they did in 2016. What did they do in 2016? You haven't proven they did anything. This is the thing that really bugs me about this, folks. They keep acting like even though there hadn't been a shred of evidence for anything other than the maybe the Democrats hacked they're, 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 the Russians hacked the Democrat computers. What did the Russians do? Nobody's ever told us this. Like, what did Nixon do at Watergate? What did he really do? What did the Russians really do? As so many of some the Russians meddled in the election. Yeah, how? Everything they've said that the Russians did in meddling with the election to get Trump elected, there's not a shred of evidence for it, and nobody has found it. So what the hell is Clapper talking about here? Well, all Clapper is doing is the same thing everybody else is doing, is trying to keep Democrats armed and antsy but I it shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. The Russians uh, continue to do what they did in 2016, given the success. What success? What success? You mean you couldn't stop them? The CIA couldn't stop You knew what they were doing, and you couldn't stop them, Clapper? You're the director of national intelligence, and you and Obama, you knew what they were doing, and you couldn't stop Besides, Obama was telling everybody it was impossible to tamper with the U.S. presidential election. And yet here you guys are out still trying to make the case, make people believe is what happened. You couldn't stop the Russians. What does that say about you, Clapper? What does it say about Brennan? You couldn't stop them. You knew what they were doing. You couldn't stop them. And now we can't stop them. We're going to do it again. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. You people are so sad. It is beyond my ability almost to describe it again. Back in a second here. The Major League Baseball exhibition season kicks off today with a cold front moving through Florida. What a great day yesterday. You know, the feel-like temperature yesterday was 90 degrees when the program ended Right now, the feel-like temperature is 63. That's chilly for us wimps who get used to the heat and humidity here. 
Uh, it's actually 70 degrees out there, but the feel like is 63. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is I got a, you know, I also, also get open line Friday questions in the email. And I got one here from our old buddy Seton Motley. As uh, you are an ex-Kansas City Royals executive, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Houston Astros. The cheating scandal. If you have already discussed this and I missed it, I sincerely apologize. I have not discussed the cheating scandal, Houston Astros. Uh, by the way, not all teams start exhibitions. Like the Cardinals and the Mets start tomorrow, but uh, many major league teams start the exhibition season. They used to not be till March 12th that the uh, exhibition games began, but everything's been moved up. Uh, so make a note, Snurdly. Remind me, uh, Astros cheating scandal sometime before the end of the program. I want to get started on the phones. Kevin in Brick, New Jersey. You're up first today, sir. Great to have you. Hi. Hi, Rush. Mega Dittos and Mega Prayers. Thank uh, you. Thank you, sir. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. So basically, I'm you know 25 years old. I've been listening to you since I was 13 years old. I've been listening to you religiously. I'm a Rush 24-7 member. I never miss a show, even when I was in high school and college and all that. Um, and my question is, I know you always joke about the Rush Limbaugh um, Broadcast Museum, but you know, I think that really should be a reality that, you know, in 50 years from now, I want to be able to, you know, show my kids and grandkids, you know, all these episodes, all these Rush Limbaugh shows. I think there should be an online website that stays up for eternity that, you know, has all your shows and all the deal cam footage and everything. Because you are a national treasure, Rush, and you have no idea what you mean to us. Um, and, um, I, I think I think your shows need to be out there for eternity. You, so, I mean, that, that's my Open Line Friday question. Um, now, I've been, I've been praying for you and... Yeah, you, know, you have no idea what like, you mean to me. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you. I, I I mentioned yesterday. It's very risky to um, acknowledge acknowledge this, and I, I I'm I'm not I'm not going to say anything right now, other than that. But I I actually believe because I believe uh, that all of these prayers are having a positive impact. That and I I this I can't thank people enough. And a positive uh, impact and attitude is clearly. Uh, much more preferable than the opposite of that, than pessimism and defeatism. There is none of that in this. Uh, I couldn't be with so much support for people like you. It would be impossible to be pessimistic, and that's that's a testament to all of you. Plus, it's my natural makeup anyway. Now, as to your, as to your observation, um, even now, uh, there, there's some of, the, some of the early programs, the late 80s, early 90s, that are not videoed. There was no ditto cam. The, but the Rush TV show is in the process of being digitized and made available. Um, and all of the old audio analog tapes of the early radio, we're trying to collect all of it to do exactly, exactly what you have said you would like. And that is a library that will exist uh, until the end of time that will document every moment of this program, every moment that we have saved and recorded. Uh, even now, if you if you join, and this is not a sales pitch, but if you if you become a, a member at RushLimbaugh.com, you already even you know what even if you don't join, even if you just go to the free side, there is an encyclopedic amount of content of past programs, transcripts, 
uh, that you can read. It's when you become a member that you get the audio and the video of all these things. And we've got a great, great start because of the existence of the website on creating that library. But no, you, you, I'm very flattered that you're even thinking about such a thing. Uh, but it is in the process of being prepared and organized. Uh, and even more than that. Uh, so I'm very excited about it, in fact. And I'm very glad that you mentioned it. I, I'm out of time for the hour. Got to take a break. Thank you again, Kevin. Very much. I'll be right back, folks. You know, about the Astros cheating scandal. You remember Bobby Thompson's home run, 1951, the year I was born, the shot heard round? You don't remember that? Well, guess what? Bobby Thompson had the sign. He knew what Ralph Branca was going to throw. Cheating in baseball, sign stealing is as standard as quarterbacks throwing touchdowns in the NFL. It ain't that big a deal. Greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, and conversational across the conversationalists all across the fruited plain. I am Rush Limbaugh, America's real anchor man, America's truth detector, and the doctor of democracy on Friday. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! Yes, sir, Ray, whatever you want to talk about is perfectly fine. The telephone number 800-282-2882 and the email address... L. Rushbow at EIBnet.us. Look, let me, I need to make a major correction. When I said sign stealing, i.e., cheating in baseball is no big deal, I misspoke. What I meant to say, it's not unusual. It is a big deal from a moral and, and a fairness standpoint. It is a big deal. I don't want anybody to. Believe it, I think cheating is okay. That's not not the point. But it's not unusual. The Astros just took it to a new level. Now, I found out something in the past year that I didn't know about all this. 1951 was the year I was born. It was born January 51. When I was 10 months old, there was a huge baseball game between the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And in that season, they had a three-game playoff to determine the winner of the National League pennant that year. The Dodgers had something like a 13-game lead, Brian, with six weeks left in the season. And the Giants ended up winning the pennant from the Dodgers, overcoming those 13 games or 12, whatever it was. The culmination was Bobby Thompson's home run, 1951, Ralph Branca on the mound for the Dodgers. Bobby Thompson shot her, it's at the polar grounds, and it was shot her around the world, and everybody thought it was just magical. It was the culmination of one of the greatest comebacks um, in Major League history. Well, guess what? Guess what? Out in center field... The signs were being stolen via a telescope or binoculars or something. And interestingly enough, it was a buzzer system from the employee in center field letting the dugout know what the pitch that had been called by the catcher was. And they found a way to inform the hitter. 
And apparently everybody knew it. Everybody knew this was going on after the fact. Ralph Branca, who gave up the home run pitch to Bobby Thompson, Thompson knew it. And in interviews about this, in in years and years after the game and after the event, nobody would deny it. I didn't know any of this until a year ago when this Astro stuff bubbled up and all kinds of history about sign stealing in baseball began to resurface. There were comments like, yeah, Branca knew that Thompson was sitting on the pitch. Take a look at the film. Take it. Well, it was film. Take a look. Bobby Thompson, he jumped on that pitch. He knew what was coming. And nobody has denied it. And Branca made a lot of money on the speaking circuit for years as the guy who gave up the shot heard round the world. Now, and there was a recent story about this. I think in the New York Post, um, and maybe our Eagle Eye website, people go out and search it and and put the link at RushLimbaugh.com so you can read it for yourself. The story in the Post backs up stuff I learned a year ago and makes it sound like it was commonplace and everybody knew it. Stealing signs in baseball... Uh, can I can I tell you a little story? I'll try to make it as brief as I can. When I worked for the Kansas City Royals, uh, handheld video cameras, camcorders, were just hitting the market, and it was commonplace for a team employee to be in a dugout with where the media cameras were in the dugout to videotape your own players at bat for later study. And I was the guy assigned to do this because I was the high-tech wizard. Wherever I've been, I've been the high-tech wizard. So I'm in the dugout, the Royals dugout at the time, first baseline. So I'm, I'm at about first base in, in, the, in the section of the dugout uh, where all of the photographers for the media are. And I'm aiming the camcorder at the plate for right-handed hitters because that's a full front-on view of the right-hand hitter, the swing, and so forth. Well, the camcorder had a blinking red light when it was operating. And I forget who we were playing, but the opposing manager, who was in the third-base dugout and could see the blinking light on the camcorder, called timeout, stormed out to the umpire, demanded to know he thought that we were sending signals. He thought that that blinking red light on the camcorder was a, was a way of sending signals to the hitter. He thought his pitcher's signs were being stolen. It was a 10-minute conversation out there. I think Dick Hauser was the manager for the Royals at the time. And I'm watching this, and I'm not knowing that this conversation is about me. And then all of a sudden, the opposing manager turns and points at the section dugout that I'm in. I still don't get what's going on. It goes 10 minutes and the game's paused and and nobody's been thrown out. It's a heated argument between the opposing manager. I don't even remember who Royals were playing. And finally, I had to leave. I had to stop. had to stop videotaping because they couldn't. Hauser and our guys could not convince the opposing manager. It was just a video camera videotaping our own guys. He said, I don't like it. You're videotaping. Who knows? You could be aiming at our dugout. You could be stealing whatever. My point in telling you the story, and later when I found out what it was, um, I was kind of had no idea that I was the subject. Well, what I was doing was the subject of this heated 
conversation at home plate. But I bring this up only because the the idea that stealing signs is somehow unique and uh, outrageous is really not true. It's an art. Sign stealing has become an art in baseball. Uh, you get a runner on second base uh, who, you know, th- th- that that's... That's when the catchers do everything they can to hide the signals they are sending to the pitcher for what pitch they want thrown. Oftentimes, the manager in the dugout is calling the pitch. He's sending a signal to somebody that the pitcher gets and the catcher gets and so forth. It's a, now, what the Astros were doing, as best I can understand, is – are you ready for this? The Astros had all kinds of intricate ways of stealing – signs, meaning the pitch that was coming, they had people in the dugout pounding on the trash can to send signals to the hitter. I don't know what the signals were, but and I don't know how long this went on, but I, how somebody didn't figure out pounding on the trash can at a dugout to send signals, it's not normal to pound on a trash can. So then the Astros tried something else, supposedly. Supposedly, players like Jose Altuve were wearing buzzers taped inside their jerseys. And the buzzers would buzz with a code to tell them what the pitch that was coming was, based on however the Astros were stealing it. The evidence for this is that in a, in, a, in a playoff game, Altuve hits a home run. He rounds third base on the way to be mobbed by his teammates at home plate. And he is holding onto his jersey f- with his life, making sure nobody rips it off. And the theory is he was doing this to hide the buzzer that he was wearing. Now, I think that the Astros... Because they have been so accused here, and apparently, I mean, their 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 owner has gotten involved, and there's obviously been some truth established. I think you know there were there were some people calling the Astros should give up their World Series victories, give up the trophy. It was tainted. It was it was uh, obtained by cheating and so forth. Maybe their, their World Series share should be taken away from the players. This is going to be something they're never going to live down. If the Astros play clean and pure as the wind driven snow for the next 10 years, it's still going to be suspected that every odd victory they have is going to be the result. Gee, they're never going to live it down. And Altuve is not going to be able to live it down. It's, a, it's, it's, it's going to stick with them. But it's not. Sign stealing is not uncommon. It's just the Astros apparently took it to a high-tech level. And now you've got... Players for the Yankees who lost to the Astros in the playoffs. I've had my whole career cheated, and I'm never going to get over it. And I think, I think, get over it, bud. Uh, but it has had a it ha- it's had a dramatic impact, and of course, it comes after all of the performance enhancing drugs and the steroids and the stuff that was going on in baseball, all of which has just served to ramp up attendance. Major League Baseball attendance. Has seen it, TV ratings not so much, but at least not on a par with the NFL. But that's what I think of it, and I, I, 
Who's worse, the Astros or the Patriots, you're asking? <laughs> well, see, that's a New York question. <laughs> Who's worse, the Astros? The Patriots are never going to live that down. Never, ever going to live down the video spygate. Anyway, let me take a brief time out. Rather than, rather than make a transition now to a serious, deathly political issue, we'll take a brief time out, go to the obscene profit break, and we will return... And right after this, don't go away, folks. Let me just tell you something, folks. I think lying to the FISA court is far graver, a far more grave example of cheating than his baseball sign-stealing stuff. Lying to the FISA court, spying on political opponents, everything. You want to talk about cheating. You want to talk about stealing signs. You want to talk about voter fraud. You want to talk about any number of things. Whatever has been going on the past four years aimed at Donald Trump pales. The baseball stuff pales in comparison to this. Now, I have here a New York Post story. This is not the one I was referencing. There's a a column that was just in the past week or so. But the story I have here from the New York Post is from July 29, 2002. So this is 18 years ago. The mystique of the miracle of Coogan's Bluff, the Polo Ground center field, had been taking a beating in the past year thanks to a bombshell revelation in a Wall Street Journal that fleshed out decades of rumors that the Giants used an elaborate scheme to steal catchers' signs at the Polo Grounds. Since the Wall Street Journal story broke, denials and evasiveness from the 1951 Giants have been replaced by pride. When the story in the journal first ran, they all denied it. But later on, when they saw the reaction to it, they claimed credit to it with great pride because it was such a clever thing to have pulled off. Everybody was stealing signs. I don't know anything about our club doing it, said 88-year-old Herman Franks. But it was Herman Franks with a military field scope who ran the giant sign-stealing operation from the team clubhouse in center field of the old polo grounds. Now, this story claims that Bobby Thompson claimed he didn't know what pitch Branca was going to throw. But there are more recent stories than this that indicate Thompson. Okay, back to the phones we go. Valparaiso, Indiana. This is Marv. I'm glad you waited, sir. Great to have you here with us. Hello. Hi, Rush. Marv, a longtime listener, first-time caller from Valparaiso, which is a suburb of Chicago on Lake Michigan. Thank you, sir. And um, having been born in February of 1951, I'm one month younger than you, but I have vivid memories of the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. In the oh, yeah. It was in the street. So my question to you, sir, is if the... Democrats end up with a brokered convention in Milwaukee, and they go to a second or third ballot, and the uh, superdelegates kick in. Do you think we might be in store for a similar situation with Bernie's uh, supporters? Well, if, uh, able to wrestle it, it away from it's him? it's really tough to sit here and predict riots. Uh, but if if you want to, I mean, if if you if you want to discuss specific scenarios, I can see Bernie supporters going nuts if it if he's got the lead in delegates and if there is some kind of brokered convention that 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 Bloomberg is behind and he is behind a movement to actually create the circumstances for brokered convention. If Bernie's voters get 
because they know they got sandbagged in 2016. They know Hillary cheated and the DNC cheated, and they know that, that Bernie was bought off. Bernie's, Bernie's house on the cabin was, in a circuitous way, purchased by the Clintons. Bernie can be bought, folks. This is what his voters got to be really worried about. Bernie's not a fighter. I don't care what anybody says. He's not a fighter, and he can be bought. And this is what Bloomberg knows. And But Bernie's voters are true believers. He collected more money in fundraising after that debate than any of the other candidates. You know, we sit here, and I told you, we sit here, we laugh at this guy. We call him Crazy Bernie. But there's an element of the Democrat Party that literally adores and loves this guy. And, yeah, I, I, I can see where they might not remain peaceful at a convention where they believe that the nomination is being stolen from them uh, and from uh, and from from crazy Bernie. And as the program unfolds, I'll get into the details here of of how they are, how Bloomberg is trying to set up a a brokered convention. I mean, what are the Democrats looking for? When, I mean, you boil it all down. And you, you put yourself in the real world, the real world of the United States today, as our country exists. The Democrats are looking for a candidate who can save us from full employment and rising wages. The Democrats are looking for a candidate who can change that. The Democrats are looking for a candidate who can return us to unemployment and flat wages. And every one of their candidates can do it. That's the scary thing. Every Democrat candidate running knows how to slow down the U.S. economy and cost it jobs. But which of those candidates? This is the question. I'm telling you, every Democrat candidate running has policies that will wreck this economy, lose jobs, and cause wages to stagnate. The question is... Which of those candidates can excite a majority of voters who will make America suck again? That's what the Democrat candidate's challenge is, to motivate enough voters who want America to suck again so that there are problems to solve, so that there are grievances, so that there are victims, so that there are people who have to turn to government rather than themselves. Trump cheerleads what? Look at the Trump rally. Trump cheerleads a positive movement of doers and makers. Bernie is the is the natural leader of angry takers. Trump doesn't have any takers. He has makers and he has doers. But what are Bernie's people angry about? What is there to be angry about in the United States today? Oh, I mean, you could come up with things. I mean, we don't have a paradise. Understand that. There never is a paradise. But the Democrats are trying to make people mad. They're trying to convince people that what's going on now somehow isn't real, isn't deserved, just needs to change. We need more people out of work. We need more people losing income. We need more people being discriminated against. We need more rotten trade deals. 
This is what the Democrats are selling. The question is, are there enough voters to actually want to get behind that kind of thing? They're angry about progress. Progress equals what? Climate change destroying the planet and the environment. They're angry about self-reliance, self-sufficiency. They're angry that Obama failed. You know there's a lot of Democrats really ticked off that Obama has endorsed the Trump economy by claiming credit for it. Oh, you talk about a sellout. They're angry that Hillary failed. They're angry that Robert Mueller III failed. They're angry that their coup failed. They're angry that their sham impeachment failed. you got a, a party of angry, destructive haters. And the question is, is there a Democrat candidate can mobilize enough of these haters to actually win an election? That's what we're up against out there, folks. All right, a brief timeout. It's open line Friday. And as I said, talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Um, We'll come back and resume people on the phones before you know it. Don't go away. All right, I found that New York Post piece I was talking about. I had people saying, it wasn't in the New York Post, it was a Washington Post piece. No, it wasn't. I mean, the the, the Washington Post piece has elements of what I read, but it was a Mike Vaccaro column in the New York Post. And the, uh, the headline, Jose Altuve, will have to wear this forever. But the column has the... Story I told you about the Polo Grounds, the Dodgers Giants, 1951, shot heard around the world, sign stealing. Thompson knew what Branca was throwing. So we're going to link to that at RushLimbo.com so that you can uh, read it for yourself. Try, try that. You talk about Democrats. What, what did I just say? The Democrat Party is looking for a candidate who can lose jobs, who can cause wages to stagnate. James Clyburn, everybody you know, South Carolina, former chairman of Congressional Black Caucasians, everybody wants the Clyburn endorsement going into the South Carolina primary. Uh, Plugs claims that he's going to get it. We don't know who's going to get the Clyburn endorsement, but wait till you hear this. James Clyburn, Congressional Black Caucasians, dismisses record black employment in America today. He was on a Fox Business Network on Tuesday. He dismissed record low black unemployment under Trump, stating, well, we were fully employed during slavery, too, so this doesn't carry any weight with me. Folks, is that reasonable is that logical is that even sane i mean what 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 kind of anger or partisanship must you be simmering with or effervescing almost to boil over with here are your people african americans having one of the most record economic periods in their lives more economic opportunity, more jobs being held, record low, unemployment, African-Americans, and he dismisses it. Well, we had higher employment than this deck during slavery. This doesn't impress me. This came, it was Neil Cavuto, who Trump's having some problems with now, I gather. And Neil Cavuto said to... Um, Wait a minute. Now, let me check here. I just I'll see if we might have this on the soundbite roster. There's an, I don't know that we do, but if we do, 
Doesn't matter. Um, the question was, wait a minute, somebody just sending me a... Oh, it was yesterday, we didn't get to it. My bad. Anyway, here it is. He's delivered the goods for a lot of African Americans. Does he... Not with record low unemployment levels? You don't think that's something constructive? And Clyburn said, I'm saying that the African-American unemployment's not the lowest it's ever been unless you count slavery. We were fully employed during slavery, so it all depends how you measure this. Okay. Um, Then, a companion story, Tim Scott, African-American Senator South Carolina, predicting Trump could get 15% of the African-American vote in 2020. If that happens, that that alone is going to be an earthquake inside the Democrat Party. Here's uh, Marie in Dayton, Ohio. Glad you waited, and welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm praying for you. Hope you get better. And this is I'm a first-time caller, and I just wanted to say that I, I, I am not a victim. I am a minority. I don't believe in victimhood. But racism does exist, and it comes from the Democratic Party. A lot of people miss this. Um, Elizabeth Warren said during the debate that she said that we need to pay people more so we can pay the black and brown people who do this work when she was referring to child care work. Right. And what that tells me is that she believes that black and brown people are the ones that do that work. When there's white people that do honorable and good work of child care, but brown and black people are also entrepreneurs. And it's our persistence and our perseverance and our belief in a strong work ethic and our belief in the American dream that helps us overcome and become business owners. And I myself, I mean, I, I was fired from my company and I bought the company that fired me two years later. But it wasn't because... Wait just a minute. You know, you just can't flash that bias. You were fired by a company and you bought it two years later. How did you do that? Um, well, it was a fluke. I, I never thought I'd be CEO of the company. I was selling medical diagnostic equipment to diagnose dizziness, concussion, and traumatic brain injuries. And I was fired because they said, uh, ironically, they said, I'm making too much money because... I'm not educated, I'm not a doctor, and doctors should be selling to doctors. I shouldn't be making that kind of money. I was straight commission, and so they fired me. And at that time, I was a single mom with four kids, minority, but I didn't say I'm a victim or it's a, it's a crime from the white man. No, I went out and I worked, and I worked my butt off. And then I started another company, and I earned enough money that when they found out how well I was doing, they called and they said, hey, are you interested in investing? And I said, interested in investing? Well, let me take a look at the book. So your, your point is, your point, you're a minority business owner. You have actually purchased. Yeah, you've actually purchased a company and fired you. and and But you still think the Democrats still think that you're too stupid to do anything but menial work. Exactly. And that's what they say. If you listen to the debate and you listen to everything they say, they think you're too stupid. You need the government to help you. Because they, exactly because they pander to you. That's exactly. You said it. She said it. She's a minority businesswoman. She said it. That's exactly how. The Democrat Party looks at minorities as incapable. You know what the biggest problem is? 
the soft bigotry of low expectations. And that's what the Democrat Party and the American left does to minorities. One of the worst things, if you're a parent and you have kids, one of the worst things you can do is have low expectations of them and tell them that. If you expect great things from them, that's motivating. And it can become self-fulfilling. But if you have low expectations and it's exactly the Democrats are built on that philosophy, the soft bigotry of low expectation. You can't do much. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it without us. But it's not just minorities that the Democrats treat that way. It's a whole lot of their voter base. It's how they look. That, that's the preferred constituency. People who just can't do much on their own. And it's obvious here for Marie, she's offended as hell by that. And I, given what she's done, I totally understand. I'm glad you called. Thank you so much. This is Gary in Phoenix. You're next. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Mr. Limbaugh, what a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Greeting, greetings from a fellow Missourian. I am a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. And God was very good to me. He gave me the gift of compassion and empathy. And that's why I enjoyed my job so much. And that's why I think I did very well at it. My question for you is you say uh, quite often, I have talent on loan from God. And I'm wondering, what do you feel your talent is? And what is the gift that God gave you that allowed you to become the person you are today? Okay, that might require, because you sound like you're serious in the question. You're not uh, <clears throat> you're not uh, flippant about this. You actually, Oh, no, no. I, I think God gives us gifts, and he allows us to use them for his benefit, and, and it, it's really wonderful when you can use them. Well, I, I, look. Good. It, you know, you've done that. Don't I just, mis- I don't, don't know what the talent is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to answer it. Don't misunderstand, but there's there are a lot of answers to this. Uh, this last call that we just had, I knew what she was saying, even though she didn't say it. Time was running out. I had to. So you, what you're saying? Yes, yeah, she said exactly. Even though she had never said that yet, my ability to understand what people are saying. And then if they are having trouble communicating it, to find a way very straightforward and simply to explain it, Uh, which leads to the ability to take something very complex and make it understandable. And that's how you feel you can look at the political uh, landscape and all the things going on and analyze them. And well, that's them that's one, but you talk about gifts from God. There's another, one of the greatest gifts from God is that I don't think I'm better than anybody. And I assume that everybody in this audience could understand anything I explain to them. So there's no condescension. You know, when, when, I, when I go play golf someplace, you know, I have a better time. I have more relatability with the people that work at the place than the other members. And Donald Trump is the same way. Donald Trump has has, has more of an ability to identify with the people who make things work than with the people who benefit from those people making things work. I mean, he can, we, we can relate to both groups, but 
I think it's a um, it's it's either a gift from my parents, the way I was raised, not to think that I am better than anybody and not to look down and condescend to people and to assume that everybody is as smart as I am. Uh, then there are broadcasting skills and talents such as timing that can't be taught. They can only be learned by doing. And, and some people naturally uh, a, a lot of a lot of talent. You're born with champions are born, not made is the slogan. And that's applied uh, primarily to athletes. But even they have to work very hard at perfecting what they're naturally good at. Uh, empathy, you mentioned that, but that is a fundamental characteristic to succeeding with this. Because if, if there isn't a bond that is uh, created between, say, me and host and the, uh, the, the host and the audience, if I'm just somebody sitting here talking to a bunch of faceless people in a megaphone, it ain't going to work. Uh, it's not going to sustain itself for very long. It may work for a while. Uh, and it's having the ability to look at this microphone and see millions of faces but treat them as one. Yes, sir. That's well, something I'm just naturally able to do without even thinking about it. Nobody had to teach it to me. Yes. And I think that um, I'm speaking for a lot of people. We feel that, Rush, you're a gift to us, and we thank you for all you do and you continue to do. Well, I appreciate Look, I, I, I appreciate the question, which is why I took it seriously. Uh, a lot of people, when they ask me that question, are really saying, so you think you're God, huh? And no, uh, that's the point of saying it's on loan, because we're all going home someday, and talent vanishes when that happens. So it's just another way of thanking God for whatever abilities I have from wherever they came. Nothing more than that. Quick time out. Back with more after this. Stay with us. Yeah, grab soundbite number uh, number twenty four. Here is here's here's uh, James Clyburn, a congressional Black Caucasians. We had this yesterday, but I didn't get a chance to get to it. Uh, it was Tuesday night. Fox uh, with Cavuto. Question: Whether you like the president's style or not, or his tweets or comments, he has delivered the goods for a lot of African Americans. Has he not? I mean, his record low unemployment. Don't you think that's something that is constructive? Congressman Clyburn. No, no, because it's not true. You what know, do you mean it's not I, true? I, I'm saying that the uh, African-American unemployment is not the lowest it's ever been. Unless you count uh, slavery, we were fully employed during slavery. So it all depends on how you measure this up. Man, oh man, what, what, what kind of hatred and anger do you have to have flowing through your veins to have an answer like that, to go back 200-plus years? This is why these people, the Democrats, this is why they cannot move forward. Is they, this is a classic example of grievance, victim politics, and that they can't move on from it. Here's, uh, here's Mike in Cincinnati. Great to have you. EIB Network Open Line Friday. Hi. Hey, Rush. Uh, God love you, and long may you run, in the words of Neil Young. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
Hey, uh, getting back to the Russian thing, I think we're going to hear a lot about the Russian thing, the Russian thing again, obviously. And I just think it's important for everybody to know that the Russians live in a real world. The Russian people are great. It's their, it's their handlers that are horrible, as we know. They hate us. They envy us. And most of all, though, they fear us. And that's why they want – this is the point I'm trying to make – that's why they really would like Trump to win, because they know that America, when we're economically healthy and even militarily healthy, they're better off. And so is the entire world. If we don't if we have another 2008, 2009, if we go into a depression, the wheels are going to come off next time. And then it's everybody on their own. And if, and if push comes to shove, the Russians will lose against us 10,000 times to one. So they don't love us. They hate us. They fear us. But they know that. Well, now wait. Let me. The rest of the this world. is a unique theory that you have, and I need to. I need to query you about something. Sure. The contra opinion of yours is that the Russians consider us an arch enemy and want us destabilized and weakened. Putin is former KGB, and once you're KGB, you're always KGB. Nobody ever leaves the KGB, and the KGB existed. Uh, when the Soviet Union was ostensibly a, a superpower, Russia isn't. Putin wants it to become reconstituted. But he knows Putin wants the Eastern Bloc back unified as the Soviet Union was. How, how would you answer somebody say, wait a minute, no, Putin wants us weakened. He wants us destabilized. He wants America with internal turmoil because it benefits him. I would say this, that even when they were the Soviet Union, even when they had all their little pieces and parts together, they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn rush. We, even back then, they well, were... Well, I know that's true. I, they've always been... They were, they were manufactured. They were manufactured as a superpower to create a number of other things the American people had to face. Uh, but, but there's so many people that think the Russians want to defeat us, that the Chicoms wanted to weaken us, destroy us as a superpower. Your point is the world can't afford for us to be destroyed because of our economy. Everybody needs it. Everybody feeds off of it. And they do not want any real damage to the United States to occur. They just want to be able to, to, to play with us and not be dwarfed by us. You nailed it, Rush. That's exactly my point. We are the world's better off, and even our enemies know it. If we're healthy and we're doing okay, like you said earlier, we're not, this isn't heaven, but we're better than everything else combined. If we go wobbly, if we get knocked back on our heels, us, I'm talking about the United States, and we have an issue, and that's what will happen if the, Bur- if the Bernies get in, right. we kiss everything goodbye. There you go. Talent so, on loan from God. Okay, Michael Bloomberg, we'll talk about the Democrat race in the uh, upcoming final busy broadcast hour. Bloomberg, the only Democrat running for president with the guts and the money to overtake Crazy Bernie right now. That That's going to be the starting point for the discussion in the next busy broadcast hour. Open line Friday. Hang tough, folks. We'll be back before you know it. And welcome back. It's such a delight to be with you each and every day here, folks, in the EIB Network and the Limbaugh Institute. And it's Friday. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. That's right. One big, exciting broadcast hour remains. And the phone portion, whenever we go to phones, you can talk about whatever you want, ask whatever you want. Doesn't have to be about 
politics issues, what have you. 800-282-2882. All right, let's move on to the to the Democrat race here. Trump, by the way, has a daytime rally today in Las Vegas, the day before the Democrat caucus is there. And uh, uh, President Trump's rally begins. When do you think the rally starts, Mr. Snurdly? 3 p.m. exactly. Right when this program ends, the president will take the stage in Las Vegas. People have been lining up. There's a lot of talk about Bloomberg. Had a rotten debate. You might think so yourself. Uh, Mayor Pete says that Bloomberg ought to drop out. It's humiliating. It was embarrassing. He just ought to get out. He doesn't know what he's doing. A lot of people. Bloomberg ought to get out. Now, Bloomberg may have had a bad debate. But he doesn't have to worry about donors abandoning, does he? Look at, Focahontas has already gone back on a campaign promise. She said she would not take PAC money. Guess what she's doing? She's taking PAC money. You know why? Because she doesn't have anybody donating to her. And she's got one last gasp at this. But Bloomberg doesn't have any donors to worry about. Certainly, he doesn't have to worry about any donors abandoning him. So why would he drop out? Why would Bloomberg drop out if he believes Crazy Bernie scares the hell out of establishment Democrats? And he does. Bloomberg knows that the establishment of the Democrat Party does not want Crazy Bernie. They didn't want him in 2016. They don't want him now. So if you're Bloomberg, do you know how much he spent in January alone, Mr. Snurdly? $250 million. $250 million. And he doesn't have any delegates yet. The thing Bloomberg's worried about, Crazy Bernie has a good Super Tuesday. He could have an insurmountable delegate lead, and all you can hope for is a brokered convention. But if you're Bloomberg, why not stick around and see how things play out? I mean, if Bernie... Look, folks. If Bernie Sanders misses a single campaign event... People are going to wonder, is he sick? Something gone wrong? There's any number of things that can happen, and none of them are predictable. So if you're Bloomberg and you have the willingness to spend every dollar you've got on this, and you don't have to worry about donors abandoning you, and if you know that the Democrat establishment would much prefer you, why not Hang around. Now, if the other Democrats running for president figure out that they have to attack Bernie instead of Mini Mike, how will Sanders handle that? Sanders did not handle Bloomberg's attacks well. Who knows? Maybe the angry old communist routine gets old. Grab soundbite number 22. 60 Minutes did an interview with Crazy Bernie, and here is an excerpt. They've posted this as a promo for the entire segment on Sunday nights. Anderson Cooper said, were you surprised by how unprepared Bloomberg seemed for some very basic questions at the debate in Nevada? And, you know, and if that's what happened in a Democratic debate, you know, I, I think it's quite likely that Trump will chew him up and spit him out. You know, we've never seen anything like this in American history. And I just think, though, that the American people will rebel 
against this type of oligarchic movement. We are a democracy. One person, one vote, not a guy worth $60 billion buying an election. Don't, don't, uh, Crazy Bernie, on your side of the Democrat Party, don't be so sure. The Democrat Party is the party of the rich, Bernie. This is a, one of the one of the dirty little secrets that has been a result of a an evolution in the Democrat, the billionaires, the true obscene wealth in America today is held by people who say they are Democrats. Oligarchs. Oligarchs, as far as Bernie is concerned. But he thinks that Trump will uh, will chew Bloomberg up and spit him out in a in a debate. Now, there's a Bloomberg memo out there warning that crazy Bernie could be impossible to stop unless other candidates drop out. Axios reported internal memo from the Bloomberg campaign that warns unless the other moderates drop out of the race, Bernie's going to win it. Memo was dated February 17th. Says, As the race stands today, Sanders is poised to leave Super Tuesday with an over 400 delegate lead versus his next closest competitor, Bloomberg, a likely insurmountable advantage. And so, Bloomberg is preparing to issue a demand to all the other candidates to drop out. Here's the Politico story. Mike Bloomberg privately lobbying Democrat Party officials and donors allied with his moderate opponents to flip their allegiance to him and block Bernie Sanders in the event of a brokered national convention. With Sanders' emergence as the front runner, Democrats in those states have recently raised the prospect that Democrat socialists could be a top-of-the-ticket liability, really. That's not new. So Bloomberg is making a move now for a brokered convention. He's making a move on getting uh, people to abandon Bernie. He is paying who knows how many people, $2,500 to write positive things about him on social media as though they are spontaneous, which is proving that social media is not real, that it can be bought, and that it can be corrupted and has been, which you and I have known for many moons. Bloomberg's campaign manager says it may be there's not much campaign after Super Tuesday. This is, again, another story that is related to the number of delegates Crazy Bernie's going to have after Super Tuesday, and, and, and Bloomberg's own campaign manager concedes that Bloomberg tanked in the debate. He's not sure that Bloomberg will beat Sanders on Super Tuesday. It may be there's not much campaign in March. After Super Tuesday, could be crazy Bernie wraps it all up. So this is why I don't think Bloomberg drops out. He doesn't have any donors to lose. He doesn't have any. All he can do is just bide his time, try to buy all these social media comments that Praise him to the hilt and wine and dine the Democrat Party establishment and hope somehow that there is a brokered convention. And right here we have it in the Politico. Bloomberg quietly plotting brokered convention strategery. The effort is designed as a potential backstop to block crazy Bernie by poaching supporters from Joe Biden and other moderates. Which makes me laugh. 
because there aren't any moderates in the Democrat Party. Now, some of you might, well, what about what about Mayor Pete and Klobuchar? Folks, they're not moderates. The, the Democrat Party doesn't have any moderates in it. One of the things I've done for the entirety of the time I've been hosting this program has been to attempt to educate people ideologically how to spot liberalism and to believe that liberalism is nothing we want any part of. It is a competing ideology, but it is it has nothing in common, and it's becoming even more extreme. Liberalism has now become, as part of the Democrat Party, socialism and communism. There isn't any overlap. You know, this business about crossing the aisle, finding common ground, there isn't any. When you have a an economy as solid as this is, with wages really increasing in real terms for the first time in a couple of generations, at least one generation, and you want a, a political party that wants no part of it, a political party that doesn't even try to say they can do better, a political party that wants to tear it all down, what is the common ground with this? What is the common ground with the people in that party? They don't allow pro-lifers. They don't allow... They are now allowing abortion after birth. Where is the common ground? Now, I, my, my effort has been to get people to understand, to spot liberalism, and the moment you spot it, to oppose it. I think... That would that's still one of the most direct routes to making liberalism a minority entity. It's going to be a long slog, and it may not be possible, because liberalism is so seductive. It's a gutless choice. It's the easiest choice in the world to be liberal, because you don't have to do anything but say you care about X, and that's it. You see a couple starving people on the sidewalk and all you have to, oh, isn't that horrible? It feels so bad. And you've got a big heart. The minute you start trying to do something about it, uh, that's, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's where conservatism comes in. And conservatism seeks to teach people how to escape their own plight. Not teach people how to go on the lamb and stay in the plight that they're in, which is what the Democrats and what liberalism does. So it's easy to be a liberal. It's very tough to be a conservative because now you're talking about actual solutions, rolling up sleeves, actually trying to reverse life circumstances for as many people as you can, using their own talents and abilities that they don't think they've got. Jack Kemp had a line I loved it. Um, Liberals measure compassion by the number of people getting handouts. Conservatives measure compassion by the number of people who no longer need it. So liberalism is always going to be seductive. You have to care, and that's all you have to do, even if you don't. And it's easy to fake caring. And all, and really, the, 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 the more odd or weird people are, care about them. Oh, that makes a great... My point is that there aren't any significant... There isn't a significant number of moderates in the Democrat Party anymore. They wouldn't be having the troubles they're having. 
and their front runner would not be an avowed communist if there were moderates in the Democrat Party that overwhelmed and outnumbered everybody else. So Bloomberg running around trying to find a way to get these moderates out of the way to coalesce behind him. There aren't any. Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, listen to them very carefully. There are not moderates there. They try to act as though they are with the way they speak or their mannerisms or the way they mask their policy statements or, as Bill Gates would say, policy. But there aren't any moderates. And so Bloomberg quietly plotting a brokered convention strategy is banking on the fact that the establishment of the Democrat Party is as opposed to crazy Bernie today as it was four years ago. And the belief is that they are because they believe crazy Bernie is going to get wiped out in a landslide like McGovern and like Dukakis. But like I said the other day, notice that crazy Bernie gets lumped in with what the Democrats and media want you to think are outliers. Yeah, Dukakis and... and uh, McGovern, they were not outliers. They were mainstream of the Democrat Party. Dukakis was a governor of Massachusetts. McGovern was a senator from the Dakotas. They were not outliers. They were not radical leftists. They were the Democrat Party of the day, and it hasn't changed any. So Crazy Bernie is just a communist where those guys wouldn't admit they were. But that's what the Democrat Party is. So this idea that the establishment of the Democrat Party is worried that crazy Bernie's going to take him down the tubes? Uh, I, I think we're being buffaloed with that. I think it's a, 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 a theory that sounds reasonable because it relies on people thinking that crazy Bernie is an outlier, is an exception. He's not. Crazy Bernie is the mainstream. He's leading in donations. In that debate, he's the guy that got all the money after that debate. Got to take a quick break. We'll be back and continue after this. Don't go away. David El Paso, Texas. Great to have you, sir. Hi. Hi. It is a real honor to get to talk to you again. I've been listening to you since I was 13, and now I've got my baby girl listening to you. You really are Uncle Rush to me. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it very much. Every day. Thank you. Uh, So what I was thinking about lately was uh, I really think Biden and Buttigieg and the other campaigns are done. They have no chance at all. Um, Buttigieg just he experienced a fluke in Iowa. I think he did good there because he's more well known to the uh, to the local populace than the other candidates. But Biden, I think he's been on a downward spiral since impeachment began. Uh, At the early stages, he was. He was rude and abrasive to people, thinking that maybe that's what endeared Trump to everybody. But he was rude to the wrong people. Did you hear what he said the other day? He said the other day, look, in my second term, if, if, I'm, if I'm losing my mind, God, God forbid, if I lose my mind, you know, I'll get out of there. I'll, I'll have somebody who knows what to do and step in for me. I said, if you're losing your mind? Uh <laughs> That sounds about the right. guy, he's he's like crazy. Bernie is seventy eight. Biden's going to be seventy eight this year. Uh, I I think you're. But we'll, we'll know. But Biden Biden has got to win South Carolina, and that means he's got to win the African American vote. If he doesn't, it's over. Play taps. Oh yeah. yeah. Buddha Judge, yeah. uh, I agree. Buddha Judge, time is not this year. He may have 
a a future down the road uh, on it. But yeah, I I I don't think these guys can overcome crazy Bernie with their delegates. By the way, a verdict. Three of five counts is in on the Weinstein case. We don't know what they are yet. Uh, jury deliberations may be continuing, but the the jury has reached a verdict of three of the five counts. This is the rape slash sexual abuse trial of the man responsible for the Me Too movement. Harvey Weinstein, Miramax, and then the Weinstein Company. And we'll see what uh, what happens with this. They've been trying to read the tea leaves of the, based on the jurors and their questions for the judge asking for explanations of testimony, some of the witnesses. But you really don't know. Now, Weinstein has been doing his part, been showing up at uh, court in a walker, uh, showing up, you know, with uh, little blue pills falling out of his pockets, making it look like there's no way that he could possibly have sexual relations with anybody, including himself. Uh, so we'll see how much of the theatrics work will be. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's what it looked like to me. You know, it, sometimes it amazes me. I just I just checked the email during the break. What do you mean Bloomberg is buying people commenting on social media? Why would I lie about it? Why in the world when you can easily go verify? Okay, so I went. Here you go. It is a Newsweek story. Now, admittedly, Newsweek is something people used to read. But as program host, I have to consult as many sources. I can, you know, show, life is show prep, folks. It never ends. Bloomberg to pay hundreds of people $2,500 a month to praise him on their personal social media feeds. Mike Bloomberg's presidential campaign will reportedly pay hundreds of people $2,500 a month to promote the candidate via text message and their personal social media feeds. The billionaire's team is now hiring more than 500 deputy digital organizers to work up to 30 hours a week to promote Bloomberg to online friends and phone contact lists, the Wall Street Journal reported, citing a staffer in California and internal documents. So, it could be BS. I'm just telling you, it's in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, even when the New York Times prints lies, we still report the Russia stuff, for example. But now that you know that something like this could be possible, then what does it make you think of social media? It might make you believe that nothing on social media is real. Or very little is real. Back to the phones. Ellen in Magnolia, Texas. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hi. Hey, Rush. I'm honored to talk to you. Uh, real quick, I want to tell you, you sustained me through the years with all the ups and downs of the politics and of our country. But my main point was is that I tried to call you November 11th, and it's my birthday, and I am very honored that my birthday is on Veterans Day. And for my birthday, I got one of your T-shirts, and it was the best gift I've gotten in a long, long time. I was so thrilled. The, uh, what, what were the Betsy Ross? Um... Yes, it's a long sleeve women's T-shirt. I love it. Oh, those were so popular. Yes, now, I love it. Now, by the way, thank you for that. I need to explain. 
this audience has a new tune-in factor each day that would boggle your mind. So there are people that don't know what you're talking about. So let me briefly explain this. Um, I guess it was last summer, Nike, was it last summer? Was it 2000? Yeah, in 2019. Man, time is zipping by here. So 4th of July, Nike announces a brand new set of sneakers that has the Betsy Ross, the original flag, 13 colonies, United States, on the rear heel, the heel of the shoe. And here comes Colin Kaepernick saying he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the shoe. He doesn't like the flag. He doesn't like the design. Nike said, okay, we'll cancel them. We'll not sell them. We'll put the shoes on the shelves. This infuriated me. Infuriated a lot of people. Kaepernick said he was upset about cops and their abuse of minorities. Now he's upset at the country and the flag, and here comes Nike doing his bidding. So we gave people a way to push back with a charitable tie-in. We created an entire line of apparel at the RushLimbaugh.com store featuring men and women's caps, shirts, golf shirts, any number of things with the Betsy Ross flag. And the tie-in was to Tunnel the Towers, a charity that raises money for uh, the surviving families of first responders and military people killed in action. It was named after Stephen Siller by his brother, who was a firefighter, killed first responder running back into the towers after 9-11 happened. Frank Siller set it up. Well, guess what? The original T-shirt was a $27 item. Classy. It was a very, very classy T-shirt, but it was not cotton. Very unique, very unique fabric. We heard from the cotton people. Cotton people, what do you mean? Select T-shirt that's not cotton. you got to get cotton. So we added a cotton line of apparel. And inside of three months, folks... At a $27 price point, we had raised $5 million in profit that was donated to Tunnel the Towers. I say, we raised it. You, you produced it. You had us working around the clock to fulfill orders. You had us working around the clock to get product. You had, you had our vendor in Pennsylvania working around the clock to print and manufacture all the apparel. It went on for months and months and months. $5 million on a 27 to $34 price point. There were some things more expensive. It was, it was unbelievable. And it was, it was not a profit pursuit for the RushLimbaugh.com store. It was, a, it was a pure charitable pursuit. It gave people a way to push back against Nike and all of this anti-American, anti-American flag stuff that made no sense and infuriated people. That's an incredible amount of money. That's an incredible amount of sales. Divide five million by, let's say, 35 bucks and see how many items had to be sold and fulfilled and delivered. It was one of the most phenomenal things to be a part of. And it happened all last summer from July 4th on through the end of the year. She got hers on November 11th, Veterans Day. And she was just calling to tell me how much she enjoyed it. And And it was, folks, we don't sell cheap stuff. We don't stock cheap stuff. Everything in there is quality. We find the the best quality stuff at whatever price point we think is, is, is good and fair. 
but it was an incredible amount of money. And, and the fact that you don't know about it unless I tell you, unless you were part of it. $5 million. And what's the news on me? That I'm somehow anti-gay when it comes to Mayor Pete. That I'm lecturing him on family values, which I haven't done. Uh, but we didn't do it for, for the for publicity of it. We did it for the charity and, and the... the uh, the community spirit of it all. And you guys, you came through in, well, we hadn't seen anything like it. And I don't think too many other people have. I mean, imagine that that much profit on a, on a relatively moderately priced item to generate $5 million in a period of, 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 I guess it was three to four months. You, you just, you came through like, you always do. And it was an honor to be part of it. Anyway, that's what she was talking about, and that's why it mattered. Quick phone call before the break. This is Elizabeth in Philadelphia. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hi. 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 Hi there. Um, so not many people like my last name, Trump, and since I live in PA near Philadelphia, and I went to San Antonio, Texas, for a um, a convention, and we went to go get these name tags, and they asked me what my name was, and I said it. And once they heard the Trump part, um, these two ladies were like, "What? No way! That's so cool!" Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute here. How, you, you're you're young, right? I want to make I don't want to insult, but you're you're a young. How old are you? Eleven. I knew it. See, talent on loan from God. I knew from the sound of her voice, folks, that she was a young. Because you're eleven years old. Your name is Trump, and you live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. And you are not treated with respect there because your last name is Trump. And when you went to Texas, everybody loved you. Is that basically the story? Yeah, pretty much. Well, have you thought about moving to Texas? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm so I'm, I'm so glad you called to tell me. Are you related to the president at all? Um, I'm pretty sure somewhere like really, really far back in the family tree. Yeah, I would bet because that that name is, uh, you know, it's 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 a unique, rare name. I, I you probably are related to the president somehow, some way. Well, look, I'm glad you called. I, pr- I, pr- I appreciate that. Wait, how long were you in Texas? Uh, just a couple of days. couple of days. And you were there with your parents, obviously. Uh, no, grandparents. Grandparents, okay. Well, you, you, so you, you, you had a good time. Now you're back, at, you're back home and, and um, listening to the program today. This is, this is, this is great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm glad you called. Yes, I also wanted to say that I love your book. Oh, the uh, the Rush Revere books. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a Liberty doll by any chance? No. Oh well, let me fix that. You hang on here, Elizabeth. A nice man's going to pick up the phone and get a mailing address from you, that we can send you a whole package of Revere stuff from um, from Revere and Liberty and the gang. If you like the books, you'll love what we're going to send. I'm really glad you called. Great to hear from you. 
Elizabeth Trump, folks. And we'll be back right after this. We got time for, well, maybe a couple, depending. We'll go to KV, Texas. Justin, great to have you, sir. Hello. Hi, Russ. Thank you for taking my call. You bet, sir. Oh, and also, thank you for the uh, recent support to us Texans. We uh, desperately need it sometimes. Works both ways, sir. Thank you. (laughs) I wanted to do a quick 180 and ask you a a personal question, if that's okay. Sure. Have at it. I asked asked Nerly, and he loved it. His words, not mine, of course. Um, I was wondering to know, how did it feel like, and how old were you when you made your first million? When you saw those seven figures looking right back at you. Well, it didn't happen that way, but but I'll, I'll try to answer it. Now, my here's here's my problem with this. My parents told me to never talk about money. Now, I know in this day and age, everybody does. Uh, everybody mentions it, uh, either exaggerates, yeah. brags, or whatever. But I was told not to talk about it. It's not very classy to um, talk about your own uh, financial circumstances. Uh you know, the, the way th- this program started and the way it was financially structured, uh, I was I was a profit participant, but not not an owner. I didn't have much leverage when we began. And so I got I got I'll just I got 30 percent of whatever the net was, but I wasn't in charge of the net. So for versus a guarantee of you know, a paltry uh compared to what I should have been getting some, but it was what I had to do to get started. And for four years, the entity didn't really make enough money for there to be a significant net, for there to be any percentage of. It wasn't until the original syndication partner decided to sell his percentage that the leverage I had came into play. So my first million was not a check for a million dollars. It was not a commission. It was an accumulation of years. So there was never one entry into the check with one million. Wow, look, it, was, it, it wasn't that way. It was um, hard work. It was a, it was a struggle. Um, but, and now see, I'm out of time here. And this is a really, there, there's a, a bunch of life lessons in this answer, but I, I'm out of time to give. I'll try to remember to go into this uh, next next Monday because th- here's the short answer. Success is nothing like I thought it would be. You know, we ought to do a fourth hour of nothing but supplementary questions like this. They have nothing to do with politics. I mean, just for the posterity of it. I'm going to think about that, folks. Uh, anyway, have a great weekend, and we'll be back here Monday, revved and ready to go. See you then.